You know, we're in this series entitled The Happy Family, and we are addressing various aspects of family and what it means to be a part of a happy family. In week one, we addressed the foundation for a happy family, and truly there is no happy family apart from the fear of the Lord. However, blessed is the family who fears the Lord and walks in His way. Then last week, we looked at the idea of the church being the family of God, that we are part of a larger family than just our biological or physical family. Understanding the church as family is extremely important in a world where so many people are lonely and longing for relationships. Church should be a place where people who love the Lord first and love others help other people find a place where they see what genuine and true love is like. That's what the church of God should be. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, the church has not always done a good job of making everyone feel apart. And today we're going to address what has often been a neglected part of the family of God. We're today going to talk about singles. You see, the church as a whole, not just our church, but all churches, has often neglected this important part of our church family. In fact, let me just by a show of hands. How many of you today have ever heard a sermon on singleness? All right, not a one, right? In the first service, had one hand raised, and then afterwards, the person told me, I misunderstood your question, and so I take that back. And so in both services, all right, in both services, not a single person has ever heard a sermon on singleness. And messages on single have not been a priority, but they are so important. I want you to think about this. Uh, Pew Research tells us that 31% of adults in America are single. In other words, of everyone who is over 18, 31% of Americans are single. Now, some of those are young people who just haven't gotten serious about marriage yet, and they're going to look to get married. Other are, are singles who have never been married and have chosen to remain single for life. Some are single because of a divorce. Others are single because they are widows or widowers. Some of these will find singleness as a season of their lives. Others will be single for the entirety of their lives. But whichever the case is, the reality is at any given time, one third of our adult population is single. And that tells us as a church, if we ignore this important part of our church family, then we will be failing to minister to a significant amount of people. We will also be failing to minister to a large segment of our community, which is looking for a place to belong. Now, why has the church so failed singles? We've often viewed them wrongly. In part, singles have been viewed as second-class citizens. It is as if the standard is that you have to be married, right, to be the normal state of affairs. And so if you're not, not married, then in some way you're a little bit abnormal. In some ways, maybe this makes sense to us because we see in the early pages of Scripture, God establishes marriage. He puts his blessing on marriage. Next week, in fact, we're going to talk specifically about marriage. However, what we have done is then take this passage on marriage and use it to subjugate singles to a secondary status. Worse, what often happens next is some people begin to look at singles as if something is wrong with them. If they haven't gotten married, then there's, they, they feel like there has to be some kind of immorality in their life or maybe a physical condition that's keeping them from being married or maybe even a mental condition. They say you must be crazy not to get married, right? Obviously, this attitude about, towards singles is wrong. It's never even spoken out loud, but it is an attitude that often lingers below the surface and can affect the way people treat singles and even operate in the church. If this is the attitude some have, what, what we have to ask this question is, what then is the right attitude toward singles? 
And to answer this, we have to go into God's Word because we want God to be our guide for everything. And there are two key passages that we're going to look at this morning. And these two are vital for our understanding of how we are to view singles. If you would, first turn with me to Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12. This passage in Matthew 19 is most known for Jesus' discussion about divorce. Jesus obviously speaks highly about the importance of marriage, and he never gives us an easy out of marriage. God's standard for marriage is that it is for a lifetime. It's a lifetime commitment. And hearing what Jesus said about marriage, the disciples responded by saying this to Jesus in verse 10. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. All right now, I'm going to pause here for a moment because I'm going to be honest with you. When I read the response of Jesus' disciples to what Jesus said about marriage, I, I just get a little tickled especially when I read what one commentator said about this. It's as if the disciples heard Jesus say, there's not an easy out of marriage. In other words, you, once you're married, there's a strong commitment. As if the disciples said to themselves, well, it's better not to get married then and run the risk of getting a lemon. Right? I, I, I mean, if, if I get married and, and, I, and I get a bad one and I can't get out of it, well, it's better than not to just get married. So maybe I'm just sick, but it, it makes me chuckle. I want to laugh and say, what would they think this way, all right? And, and I might say that, listen, but let me go ahead and say this, all right? You should never get married thinking it's going to be easy. Never, all right? Also, hear me, you shouldn't choose singleness because you think it is easier, all right. Both marriage and singleness have their unique challenges. It is why with both marriage and singleness, we need to look to the Lord. All right. Now, after the disciples' comment, Jesus went on to say this. He said, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, without going into much discussion today, for our purposes, let's focus on the fact that Jesus mentions that there are some who choose singleness as a lifestyle for the purpose of serving the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said not everyone is able to receive this because the reality is not everyone wants to even consider that as a possibility that they might be single for their entire lives. Knowing that a eunuch is a male who has been castrated, you know that to become a eunuch is not a temporary decision. It's a life decision. We might also note that many believe that when Jesus said some made themselves eunuchs, that he wasn't talking about the physical aspect of being a eunuch, but choosing the lifestyle of a eunuch. In essence, choosing singleness as their life. What is most important for us to see here is that Jesus is speaking a word of approval for those who choose singleness in order to better serve the kingdom of God. When many have the tendency to view singleness in a negative light, Jesus paints a positive picture here of singleness. This might be a good place, though, to mention that Jesus didn't commend singleness for selfish reasons. I say that because there's somewhat a trend in our society today for singleness because people simply want to be self-consumed. They don't want to worry about anyone else. They want to do their own thing, and they want to do it without hindrance. They don't want to have the concern about caring for someone else, and that's what, that is not what Jesus is commending here. He is commending those who choose singleness for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus looks at singleness in this case in a positive light. Now, the second passage of Scripture that deals with singleness is found in 1 Corinthians 17. So uh, 1, 1 Corinthians 7, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 7. So go ahead now and turn there. It's probably a more comprehensive look because becoming a eunuch can be such a, a narrow focus and an extreme measure. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul 
is dealing with a larger issue, much like Jesus was in Matthew 19. Paul was dealing in 1 Corinthians 7 with some believers who had this idea that if you're truly going to be faithful to the Lord, then it meant a life of celibacy, including even if you were married, that you should abstain from sexual relations. Now, Paul quickly speaks to the point that marriage is the proper place for sexual relations, even to the point that one needs to understand that if you are married, choosing to be abstinent is not honoring to God. There is a mutual responsibility within a marriage relationship. The only reason abstinence is chosen in marriage is, as Paul noted, for a limited time with the purpose of being devoted to prayer. For our message today, though, Paul goes on to say something important in regards to singleness. Look at what he says beginning in verse 6. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, Paul here very specifically speaks of the desirability of singleness. He said he wished all were as he, that all were single. Then speaking to the unmarried, whom we assume are the never married, and then to the widows, he says to them, it is good for them to remain single. Now, keep in mind, like in our day, marriage is assumed to be a superior option. Yet Paul is saying just the opposite. He is not saying that singleness is the only option because he is saying there are different gifts. Some get the gift of marriage and some get the gift of singleness. And let me pause even and say this. Paul is not saying that singleness is a gift in the sense that some people get this superpower in their life that allow them to be single all their life. That is not what Paul is saying, all right? Singleness is not a superpower. You hear me? All right, it's not a superpower. He's just saying this, that those who are single, singleness is a gift for them to enjoy, just as marriage is a gift for those who are married as a gift to them to enjoy. See, Paul's words here truly takes us to a place that is unusual for our thinking. And if you jump down to verse 38, he gets real specific and he blows our mind when he says this in verse 38. So then he who marries his betrothed does what? Well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And now this is probably a verse that stuns us a little because truly we don't expect that it would be said that singleness is better than marriage. But that is about exactly what Paul says. For those who've ever looked at singles and viewed them as second class, you, you have to change your view because if there is a second class, according to this, that would be those who are married. In fact, some have suggested that marriage is actually a confession of our frailty. And since in heaven there is no marriage or given in marriage, that singles are actually giving us a unique glimpse into heaven. And my guess is most singles have never heard that before. Most singles have never heard such a positive light shown on those who are single. Now, why would Paul speak of singleness so highly? Is it because he's single himself? No, It is because he understood, as we need to understand, the unique opportunity that singles have. Look back at verses 32 and 35 here in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul writes this. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. 
I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, Paul states something that should be obvious to us all. Once you get married, you have divided loyalties, right? No longer can you be solely devoted to the Lord because you have a spouse you have to consider. If the Lord then gives you children, you have to consider your children. For example, let me say this. I know this, that no matter what I feel that I need to do, even if I feel the Lord leading me to do something in life, I cannot just do that without first considering Kim. For example, if I felt like the Lord was calling me to go to missions overseas, it would be wrong for me to just say, hey, I'm going overseas doing missions. The next question I have to ask, if I hear the Lord saying, God, I feel you call me to missions, I'd have to go to Kim and say, Kim, what do you think? I feel the Lord's calling me and I have to listen to her. And if she looked back and said, I don't think so, it would be wrong of me to just go into the mission field because God told me the day I married her, my, 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 uh, you know, I became divided in my loyalties. Yes, I'm first to the Lord, but then I have my wife. Uh, even if I felt like I needed to move to a different city or take a different job, for me to make any decision by myself would be wrong because God has given me a spouse to walk through life with, and so I must consider her in all things, all right? See, that's true for anyone who is married. Kim and I have been blessed through the years to find great unity on decisions, but it's not always the case with couples. Many couples argue over decisions and directions in life. Even if you take decision-making out of the picture, when you are married, you have the reality that there are others depending upon you. You have to help provide for them. You have to consider your resources and make sure you provide for their needs. You have to look at your time and know that daily there is time that has to be devoted for caring for matters of your spouse or when you have children, time devoted to those children. It is simply a reality that when one gets married, you can no longer solely think about the Lord. You must consider your spouse and any kids that you have. Now, on the other hand, a person who is single has a unique opportunity to be completely devoted to the Lord. Decisions can be made for the most part just considering what does the Lord want me to do? And there is freedom to do those things. God wants you to move, you move. God wants you to make a donation, you make a donation. God wants you to change your plans for the day, you change your plans for the day. And you can do these things and not ask someone else. You have the freedom to do those things on your own. And yes, at times there are some previous obligations that must be considered, but as a whole, what one feels the Lord wants him or her to do can be done by simply saying, I'm ready to do it and do it. Also, because there are not some of the built-in obligations that come with being married, there's more time that can be invested in the things of the Lord. Now, I don't think I need to elaborate more for you to understand what Paul said, do I? I don't think so, all right? It just makes sense. If you're married, there's naturally uh, divided loyalties while being single allows for complete devotion to the Lord. Singleness can truly be seen as a superior position spiritually. Now, as we ponder what the Scriptures then lead us to, There are two big observations about singles that we need to acknowledge so that we view singles appropriately. First of all, it's this, that singleness is a gift for some. In other words, singleness is a lifestyle that some people will live, and when someone is single, it should be seen as a gift in the sense that it provides opportunities that being married will not present. And then two, singleness is desirable, but it is not commanded. All right, because of the ability to be fully devoted to the Lord, singleness is actually a preferred state. However, it is not commanded. In fact, as we look at the whole of Scripture, we are led to believe that most people at some point in life will choose to get married. 
We also see clearly in the scripture that marriage is viewed in a positive light. And as I said earlier, we're going to look at that next week. I want to state that because I don't, want to, I don't want you to misunderstand me in this message. Here's what I'm not doing. I am not calling us to some mass commitment to singleness. Y'all hear me? That's not what I'm doing with this message this morning. But what I am calling us to do is recognize that the way we have viewed singleness in the past might not be an appropriate view. It is, in fact, viewed very highly as we have seen in the Scriptures. And so how do we respond to this truth that we've seen this morning? I want us to consider five implications of what we've learned from the Scriptures. The first one being this, that we should view singleness as normal. As I said, we've had this tendency to look at singles as if it's something, as if something is wrong with them, all right? Maybe what we need to do in the church is repent of the fact that we have idolized the family. Okay? We truly, in a way, worship our families more than we worship God. No amen? Okay, thank you. We need at least one amen, right? We have let what should be a gift of the Creator replace the Creator. And in the process, we have made those who are single less than. And that needs to stop. Those of us, especially in the family of God, need to view singleness as normal, even making sure in our interactions as a church family, we don't neglect this important group in the family. We can't have children's ministry and student ministries and then jump to marriage ministries and to senior adult ministries. We need to have senior or single ministry as well. We cannot forget about them. If we view them properly, we will make sure the needs of the single in our church family are met just as much as any other group in the church. Likewise, singles, you need to view yourself as normal. Maybe you've looked at yourself and thought something must be wrong with me. Well, that's not the case. You are normal. You are valuable. You have a special place in God's heart. For whatever reason, you've been given the gift of singleness. Whether, as I stated earlier, it's a season of your life or whether it's the full course of your life. As long as you are single, you have an opportunity to serve God with your full devotion. Let your singleness be seen for the great opportunity is and don't look at yourself as less. You, as we have seen, are actually in a desirable place. And so let's view singleness as normal, which will allow us to do this second thing. Rejoice in the position that the Lord has you in. This point naturally follows the first, but, but whichever category you fall into, married or single, I'm calling you today to rejoice. Okay? If you are married, don't look and say, I wish I were single, because that would lead to a divorce and that would be wrong. Right? Or if you are single, don't look and say, I wish I were married, because it might cause you to rush into something that is unhealthy. Both marriage and singleness have their challenge. Both have their benefits. What God calls us to do is be content in whatever circumstance we are in. If you are married, be excited about being married. Yeah, yeah be excited. All the, all the married people should say, yeah, I'm excited about it, right? Be excited. Invest in your marriage. As a married couple, minister for the Lord. Take advantage of the opportunity to show the world how healthy marriages work. Show the world how you work through disagreements properly. Set the example of what it means to serve each other and to sacrifice for one another. Demonstrate forgiveness and cooperation. Use your combined resources in God-honoring ways. Don't just use the combined resources for your own good. Use them for the glory of God. Now, if you are single, rejoice in that. Be thankful for the opportunity you have to serve. Be thankful for the flexibility. Be thankful that you can be fully devoted to the Lord. However long you are single, take advantage of that time for the Lord. It is a gift that should not be overlooked. If God brings the right person in your life, you don't need to feel bad about that. But as long as you're single, be content. Rejoice in what the Lord can do through you.
then next, invest in relationships with others. All right. Last week, as we talked about the church being a family, I hope you understood through that message that there's this, this natural connectedness we have as a church family, as believers in Christ. Did y'all get that much at least last week? We're connected, right? All right, we are connected. God did not create us to be alone. We are also familiar with the text early in the scripture where God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Again, we have often, unfortunately, only focused in the one aspect of relationship building, and that being one of husbands and wives. But we need to be building relationships in general. For the church, we need to understand that that includes building relationships with singles. One of the challenges of being singles is that they do not have the natural built-in relationships that come with those who are married. They cannot go home and there be someone there to interact with. Therefore, we in the church should do more to make sure we are building relationships with singles and inviting singles to be a part of our lives. And, and let me say this, make them a part of your lives, all right? Don't just make them easy babysitters. Because that's what married couples often do, right? Need a babysitter. Who, oh, I know somebody who's single. Let me call them. If that's all they are to you, that's a wrong view, all right? Invite them to join them in your celebrations. Invite them to enjoy in your general family fun. The singles in our church are part of our family, and so let's make sure we include them, even inviting them to our family meals so that they can sit down with us and eat together, enjoy relationships with others. And by the way, this includes all kinds of singles. It could mean inviting someone who is a widow to join you or someone who is divorced to join you. People who are single for any reason need relationships, right? Likewise, let me say to the singles, make sure you are building relationships. Unfortunately, society has given this idea that the only place that intimacy can happen is within sexual relationships. I want y'all to listen real close to this next part because I'm getting ready to make y'all very uncomfortable, okay? You know, again, we feel that intimacy can only come in sexual relationships. And since singleness in God's eyes does mean a life of celibacy, some believe it also means a life of loneliness for singles. That is not the case. Think about this. Jesus was a single celibate man, but he had close, deep relationships with his disciples. The scripture even says that John was the disciple that he loved. All right, Paul was a single celibate man, but he developed deep relationships and ministry partners like Timothy, who he considered his son. Even think about this, when King David was not a single man, in fact, we all know too well how David's sexual exploits got him into trouble, but he had a deep friendship with Jonathan, who was also a married man. What did David say about his relationship with Jonathan? When Jonathan died, this is what David said in 2 Samuel 1, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Unfortunately, people today read that text and they read as if David and Jonathan had some inappropriate sexual relationship. Why? For some reason, we find it impossible that David and Jonathan could have a relationship as David described it and it not be sexual. But I want you to think about this. David's relationship with women had proved to be complicated. In fact, at the time he wrote those words about Jonathan, he had three wives. This man had trouble, Amen. Maybe for David, he struggled to find real intimacy in the sexual relationships with women, and he found authentic intimacy in the closeness with a friend. My guess is even me mentioning this has made y'all uncomfortable, right? Or maybe it's made you cringe today. But folks, hear me. True intimacy does not have to mean sexual relations. 
Answer me this. Did Jesus and John have some sexual relationships since it said that Jesus loved John? No, right? Absolutely not. As we know that the scriptures, in the scriptures, that would have been wrong in God's eyes and Jesus was without sin, right? I have to mention this because in the church, we can be bad about seeing single people who have very close friends of either the same sex or the opposite sex and assume that there is something inappropriate with that relationship. We have to ask ourselves, why do we feel this way? Instead of thinking the worst, we should be happy for those who live a single life, who've been able to find close friends to enjoy life with, many times even serving the Lord with. We shouldn't assume bad things, but instead be thankful that they have meaningful relationships because God has not designed us to go through life alone. Singles, don't be afraid to invest in healthy relationships. They are important to your life, so invest in them. And church... Let's do our part to invest in relationships with singles and encourage them to do the same. Amen? All right? See, I made y'all uncomfortable, didn't I? Well, next, do this. Use your gifts for the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus spoke favorably about singles. He spoke that way because they had chosen singleness in order to make the kingdom of God a priority. If you are a single person and have chosen that lifestyle solely for your own personal advancement or selfishness, then that is wrong. If singleness is a life you've chosen, then you should choose that in order to have more time for the kingdom of God. Therefore, use your gifts and the gift of singleness for the glory of God. Also, church, we need to be thankful for the singles in our church family and allow them to use their gifts for the glory of God. We cannot view them as less capable because of their singleness. In fact, we should recognize their unique position and their ability to serve the Lord in great ways. We should be reminded to know that singles are able to serve in prominent roles in the church. In fact, for us, we are blessed at the church to have several staff members who are single. And the one thing I know is they work hard. And because of their flexibility, they give much of themselves to the ministry, maybe even more than the staff members who are married. You see, the church needs to appreciate the work that many singles do in the church as they give their time to the church that married people give to other things. But don't take that as a license to take advantage of them either. They need downtime as well, and they need balance in life as well. But let's recognize the unique opportunity that singles have to use their gifts for God. In reality, we should all be using our gifts for the kingdom of God. Let's celebrate everyone's unique gift. Amen? Then last, let's do this. Let's focus on your relationship with God. Now, I save this point to the last because indeed today it is the most important. For no matter what position you find yourself in in life, married or single, the only relationship that will last or satisfy is your relationship with God. See, for many married people, there will come a time when your relationship with a spouse ends. Unfortunately for some, through divorce, but for many others, through the death of a spouse. If it is a relationship with a spouse that satisfies you, then there will come a time that you will be disappointed, all right, because you will be alone. If you're married, don't think you have arrived by having a spouse. If you're single, don't think getting married is your solution. Most are familiar with the 23rd Psalm, are you not? A very important part of that Psalm is the part that says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hear me, when your relationship with the Lord is the one that you have, you can know that even in death, it is a relationship with la- that lasts. The Lord will always be with you. It is the, hear me, it is the relationship with the Lord that is the only relationship that will last forever. And so if you want a relationship with that lasts, 
You need to look to the Lord. Then Jesus said this in John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What should be clear in this verse is that Jesus is the only one who fully satisfies. You don't have to be hungry and thirsty anymore when the Lord is the one who meets your needs. Married couples who are honest will tell you this, that their spouse cannot completely satisfy. No amens, but I see a few nods to the head, right? All right. You don't want to be the one that says amen. Your spouse says, what are you talking about, right? There are days, all right, there are days that seem to be better than others, while some days that spouse completely disappoints. In fact, some days they seem to create more uh, need and, and want than they provide satisfaction. Again, the nod to the head is no amen, right? I say that singles, know this, marriage, don't, don't, don't get married, think they can get married will mean that you'll be satisfied and all your needs will be met because there is no person on this earth that can meet all your needs. The only one who can fully satisfy you, the only one who can fully satisfy you is Jesus Christ. I'm also reminded of what Paul said in Philippians 4. I know in this passage, he is most specifically speaking about material needs and how he had moments where he had plenty and moments where he was in want. However, I believe what he discovered applies to every single area of our life, including relationships, when he said this in Philippians 4, 11 and following. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Folks, it is Jesus that can make you content because only Jesus can satisfy and if you ask me, why is that true, brothers? Why is it that only Jesus can satisfy? It's because of this. Only Jesus can take care of your deepest need. What is your deepest need? Your deepest need is your sin issue in your life. And there's only one who can forgive you of sin and restore your relationship with the Creator. Right? See, what sin has done has broken the most important relationship in our life. It has created a separation between us and our Father in heaven. That is the most important relationship. It is the only one that's ultimately eternal. But sin has broken that. But Jesus came to die for your sin. Jesus came that you might be forgiven. Jesus came to restore your relationship with God. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can find satisfaction. You can find fulfillment because he restores that relationship with your creator who loves you like no other. And so today, if you want a relationship to focus on, you focus on your relationship with the Lord because he's the one that fully satisfies. He's the one that meets your needs. He's the one that will never let you down. He's the one that will always be there for you. And here's what I believe. You ready? That if you walk in a relationship with the Lord above all, if God wants you married, guess what he'll do? He'll bring that right person into your life. You're not going to have to force it. You're not going to have to say, oh, I've got to get married. I've got to do this. No, if you look to the Lord first, if he brings that right person in your life, you'll know it and you'll know it's time. Season, the season of singleness is over for me. If not, here's what the Lord will do. He'll give you contentment being single, even if that's single for all your life as you serve him with your full devotion. 
And I even believe this, if you look to the Lord, the one who is the most important relationship, the only one that satisfies, here's what he can also do to our married folks here today. He can help you be satisfied in your marriage. He can help you work through the difficulties. He can help you work through those troubles. He can help take you as a married couple to a new level if you will focus on him as a couple first. And we'll talk probably more about that next week, all right? But I know today the most important relationship is Jesus Christ. And we need to look at that today. And church, I believe if we will do that and we will understand that, we can even understand relationships in the church. And for us today and for this purpose, we can begin to view singles differently. We can look and say, oh, yes, they're normal, praise the Lord, right? They're not weird. They're normal. We can celebrate their gifts. We can allow them to serve the Lord with gladness as they so desire with that singleness. And we can also build relationships with them that's healthy because they're a part of the family of God. Amen. So we do these things today because there is a single part of the family that's been ignored. And I say it's time to ignore them no more. Let's pray together. Our Father, we again come into your presence today just thanking you for your goodness as we sang about earlier. And today I know as we look at this message on singleness, Lord, my prayer moving forward as a church is that we would treat the singles in our church the way they need to be. Father, as valuable and precious and as your gifts. And so, Father, I pray that you would even show us how moving forward we even develop the relationship with them as we should, celebrate them as we should, and, Father, treat them in a way that is honoring to you. Above all, Father, today I pray that we let you be the single focus of our life because I know if we get that right, Father, what I know today, we'll get everything else right. And so, bless us, God, even as we come to this time of invitation, as we're going to sing about the importance of you being that one thing in our life that is the most important, I pray that we would put you right there and we'd be ready as you take that rightful place in our life that we'd be ready to do whatever you call us to do today. And so, Father, you just speak to our hearts in these moments. You lead us, you guide us, you direct us. You have your way in our life, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.